Sunday. There we go. Well, this morning I'm continuing my series entitled Waiting for His Return. Now, my topic this morning isn't going to sound like something that would fit into a series on waiting for Jesus' return. But I'm going to offer it up to you anyway. The title of this morning's sermon is Whale's Vomit. What's it worth? Whale's Vomit. What's it worth? Amber juice is worth about $10,000 a pound. It's commonly known as whale vomit. It is extremely expensive and it is somewhat rare. It's used in the fragrance industry. Sometimes you can find it floating on the surface of the water. Other times it washes up on the beach shore. But this is a real thing. It's uh, known as whale's vomit. Its proper name is ambergris, and uh, uh, it is worth about $10,000 a pound. Yeah. A little bit of ambergris can actually retain its aroma for up to 300 years. And because it's a, a waxy kind of substance, they mix it very minutely amounts of it into oil, uh, perfumes, and it allows the perfume, the scent, to linger longer on a person's body. In fact, if you have a perfume that's a little bit more expensive, you are the proud wearer of whale vomit. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and sniff? Take a sniff. Something else that you need to know about whale's vomit is that only the sperm whale, the sperm whale's the whale that has like a square head and it looks like a huge bus, only the sperm whale develops ambergris and even then only 1% to 5% of those whales ever produce it. And so it is rare and consequently very expensive when it's found. It's used, like I said, to prolong the smell of fine perfumes. They even put it in some cigarettes to add scent. The ancient Egyptians used it as an incense. So it's been around a long time as far as it being used by human beings. Now here's a couple of interesting facts. Ancient Egyptians, uh, I, I said that, used it as an incense. But during the Middle Ages, Europeans used ambergris as a medication for headaches. How would you like to rub a little bit of well vomit on your forehead? It'll take your headache away and give a headache to everyone else who has to smell it. Uh, they use it for treating colds, epilepsy, and other ailments. In fact, it was believed during the Black Plague that if you wore ambergris, that it would actually help you not get infected by the Black Plague. It's been used historically in food and drinks. It's been used as a flavoring agent in Turkish coffee. How many of you have just sworn off of Turkish coffee? <laughs> 
It's been used in hot chocolate in the 18th century in Europe. And King Charles II of England loved it, served up with his eggs. It was his favorite dish. How many of you are grossed out right now? Just a little bit? Give me a wave if you're a little bit grossed out. Well, I have good news for you. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that while it's been known as Wells vomit, it actually isn't. They don't throw it up through their mouth at all. It comes out through their pool hole. <laughs> That's a fact. It comes out through their poo hole. Yeah? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This is actually a hypothetical question, but a very important question. And so I want you to engage me because I'm setting the stage for my message here this morning. What if I told you that if you walked on the beach, the shoreline, anywhere along the United States, on average, 160 hours a month, that's equivalent to four weeks of 40 hours worth of work. What would you think if I told you that the numbers, once you crunch the numbers st statistically, if you spend 160 hours walking the beach a month, you would be guaranteed to come across a pound of ambergris. How many of you? That, that, that's the equivalent of $10,000 a month net return. How many of you would consider giving up your job and walking the beach 160 hours a month for $10,000? Okay. How many of you, if I guarantee you, you'd find two pounds of ambergris uh, during that same amount of time, how many of you would definitely give up your job and uh, go after this great find? <clears throat> well, the truth is it's very, very rare and it's hard to recognize. Uh, while it looks somewhat like a rock, it comes in all different shades and densities, so I really wouldn't recommend you giving up your day job just yet. But I want to share a story with you that has a similar meaning and connotation. In Second Kings, we find a story in chapter 4, starting with the first verse, that there was a widow her husband uh, worked amongst the prophets. He was a prophet. He was in the company of the prophets. And uh, <clears throat> the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know he revered the Lord. But now his creditors are coming. Visa and MasterCard are after him to take my two boys as his slaves. You see, something you need to understand about Hebrew law and Hebrew culture was that if you owed money, you had to pay it. And if you couldn't pay it and you had children, uh, you or your children could be taken as slaves and you would not 
generally get released from the debt of slavery but for every 50 years in the Jubilee year. And so this was a very serious situation. This woman, her heart was grieving and her mind kept her up at night, tossing and turning. God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? My economic situation is well beyond my ability to earn that type of money. So she goes to the prophet. Elisha said to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Elisha said, "Go." Uh, she said, sorry, what do you have in your house? And she answered, your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. Well, thank God for olive oil. I thrive on olive oil. Many of you already know my Italian heritage, but you also, many of you know the story that as a little kid, I was born extremely sickly. I was allergic to my mother's milk. They weaned me on goat's milk. I was allergic to water. They could not wash me in water. They would have to take cotton balls and dab it in oil and rub my body down in oil. Otherwise, I was constantly in pain. Water would aggravate my skin. And so I was anointed from birth. I was a greasy Italian. It was written in destiny. There's no getting away from it. But it must have been anointing oil because my parents soaked me in that oil and voila, here I am today, full of the Holy Ghost. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. And don't ask for just a few. Now, he didn't tell her what was going to happen. If we believe the story as it's written, all we know is the next thing that happens is that this lady starts knocking on the door of every neighbor. How many of you believe that in light of the fact that she wanted to save her sons from being taken by their creditors, this woman would have gone to any extent to get as many empty jars to contain oil? How many of you would agree? You see, the only thing the prophet told her to do, he said, what do you have in your house? I got a little jar of oil, and that's it. And he says, go around to your neighbors, pester them, ask them, beg them, plead with them, get as many empty jars as you can. And he didn't tell her anything else. And on the mystery of that command, this woman eagerly together with her two sons start invoking of everyone around them give me empty jars any kind of empty jars any size the bigger the better but whatever you have we're going to take it and so she filled her house with the empty jars and it says that uh, the prophet said to her go inside shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into the jars as each is filled and put it to one side. So she's doing that. 
She's got all these jars lined up, and you know, they're not like little bell-preserving jars. These are big ceramic vats, probably yay tall and nice and wide. And she takes her jar of oil, and she does what the prophet said to do. I want to tell you, there is great reward in doing what the Word of God says to do. I'm going to say it again, because I want a louder amen. There is great reward in doing what the Word of God says to do. James says, what will it profit if you read the word of God It's like, and do nothing about it? It's like a man who looks in the mirror and then forgets how he looks. It's doing the word of God that gets us the results. And so she did what the prophet said to her. And uh, she takes her jar and she starts to fill up all of these vats. Now, mind you, this woman didn't know what the end result was going to be. The prophet didn't tell her yet. She's just following his command. I want to tell you that God often deals in a similar way with us. He doesn't always show us the finished product. He doesn't always tell us how it's going to end. God is very, uh, I don't want to say notorious, because that has a negative connotation, but God is very well known for saying go, and then we go, and we wait for him to show. The prophet told her what to do, but he didn't tell her what would happen. And a lot of people stumble in the not knowing, and rather than just obeying in simple obedience, they start to question, they start to reason, they start to argue. I want to tell you that it is a very good habit to not question the word of the Lord, but to simply obey and have the faith of a little child. Yeah, I lost a few. Shall we go back to the whale's vomit? I had more people responding when I was talking about whale's vomit. I assure you that when God says go or God gives us a direction and we don't know the finished product, it's our obedience. It's our childlike faith that allows the hand of God to surround us, even be underneath us, and he will lead us and he will guide us. And though we're walking through what seems like just uh, invisible territory, God will direct and God will show up. You see, the Bible is filled with stories of prophets and men and women of God who were only given a word and they had to obey that word and only found out what the end result would be after they started stepping out in what God said. In fact, the truth of what I'm saying is actually deeper than that. Usually God gives a command and a word and then when we step out to do what he said, it seems ridiculously impossible and absolutely absurd. 
But if we continue to do what he says and we don't rely on our own thinking and we don't rely on our own ability and we don't rely on our own confidence but we trust in the Lord, at the end of the journey, God shows the finished product and it is truly something supernatural. And too often we settle for natural results because we want to duke everything out in the arguments of our mind rather than walking in faith and allowing God to bring us to a supernatural conclusion. Are you with me, church? So this woman didn't know how this would end up. She didn't know the finale of the story, but she obeyed. She had trust in the word of the Lord. There are a lot of things in my life, I don't know how they're going to end up, but I know God said go. I know God said do. I know God said be there. And if God tells me or if he tells you to be there, he's going to be there as well. Amen. Absolutely. And so she starts pouring this oil out and she pouring out her jar and she fills up another jar of equal size and she figures to herself probably, well, that's the last drop. But it wasn't the last drop. It kept coming out. You see, that tells me the mere fact that she had enough to fill a second jar, it tells me that God was just as concerned about her two sons as she was. God is concerned about our well-being. God is concerned about our welfare. God is concerned about our today, our tomorrow, and the next 50 years, and as long as we are alive. Can I get an agreement? You see, she not only filled up that first jar, she filled up the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the 20th and the 25th and the 30th and the 40th. And the Bible doesn't tell us how many jars she collected, but what we do know is this. That when the end of her effort showed up, in other words, when she came to the last jar that they bothered to gather, it was at that point, once that jar got filled up, the oil stopped flowing. You see, this woman had a little bit of oil. She could have said to the prophet, eh, I'm not pouring my oil out anywhere. This is all I have. Usually, God will ask you to put in what you have, and sometimes it'll be all you have. And the natural mind starts to think about loss when the spiritual mind starts to think about multiplication. And we're so afraid of what we're going to lose in the process that we go via a natural way rather than a supernatural way. When we trust God, God will give us supernatural dividends. Are you with me, church? And I find it amazing that her and her sons, for all the effort they put in, and we don't know how many jars they collected, but we know that when she got to the last jar, when they had stopped 
making the effort at that point, that's as big as the blessing that they received. Now, I'm absolutely convinced that if they had added another 100 jars, her little jar of oil would have filled up the additional 100 jars. And if this lady was really an entrepreneur and industrious and she had managed to gather an extra thousand jars, the extra thousand jars would have been filled as well. Because God has no limitation on his resources. Are you with me, church? Come on now. Are you with me? Well, then... Tell him you believe in his character. Put your hands together and make a noise about the character of God. You see, I believe this lady probably gathered a heap of jars because each jar was representing a portion of the value of her sons to her. And because the value of her sons was so great. I believe this woman knocked on every door and she shook everybody down for as many jars as she could because of the size of love that she had for her two boys. The last thing she wanted to do was see them taken away by her creditors and uh, caught up in a life of slavery. And so she worked very hard and she gathered as many jars as she could. And when she finished, down to the very last jar, including the one in her hand, they were all filled with oil. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, What's next? I did what you said. This is what happened. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Now, honey, here's the key. Go and sell every one of those jars because you just became a producer by the power of the Holy Ghost. And you will not only have enough money to pay off your husband's debts, but you and your sons will have enough money to live for a long, good while. Amen. See, again, I I see that God is really concerned about your everyday life. God is really concerned about your situation. God is equally as concerned about your natural life as he is about your spiritual life. And when God tells us to do something... It's always for our good more than it is for his good. Now, I know we all live in the same world and we've all had the same types of interactions with other human beings. And in this life, if you've lived 20 or 30 years or more, you sort of come to a conclusion that when somebody tells you to do something, it's not always more to your advantage than it is to theirs. Usually, it's the other way around. It's more to their advantage than it is to yours. How many of you here have met the same people I've met? Right? Okay. Turn to somebody right now and say, he's not talking about you, though. (laughs) 
I am confidently, completely, overflowingly convinced that whenever God tells me or you to do something, it will be far more advantageous to you than it even is to him. Amen. Amen. That's the nature and the character of God. And that's where faith comes in because while that might be an unseen quality, we step out in faith and when we take that walk of faith, it becomes a seen reality. Amen. The prophet said, you and your sons will be able to live on what's left. He didn't say you'll be able to live for a day, a week, a month. I like the way this is worded. You, you and your sons will be able to live on what's left. You see, I believe that when we put our lives completely, even at the risk of it sounding ridiculous, we put our lives and we put our families in the hand of God, that he makes us kings and priests. He makes us rulers. He makes us entrepreneurs. He doesn't just give us enough so that we got three weeks worth of wages. When we invest our lives into the kingdom of God and into the hand of God, when we obey the voice of God and like this little silly little kid, we just do whatever daddy says to do, that God will turn us into producers these people now had enough to live on and they were able to put their hand, I'm sure, to other things. They became productive. You see, the enemy wants to make you a slave. The enemy wants to put you in bondage. The enemy wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. The enemy wants to put you under his feet. But God sent his son who died and rose again, went to the belly of hell, defeated every demonic power, and raised you up to heavenly places with himself so that the devil will be under your feet. God wants you to be the head, not the tail. God wants you to rule, not be ruled or ruled out. You see, he took this family from a destiny of slavery and he blessed them to such a place that they became well off and they became powerful. They were able to live on the blessing of God. Yeah. What's your family worth? If you were in that scenario, if you could for a moment go back a couple of thousand years in your imagination and put yourself in this widow's shoes. What's your family worth? How many jars would you go around collecting? How persistent would you be? Would you care if your neighbor found you a little bit obnoxious and very annoying? 
Would you knock on their door anyway? Would you go back a second time? Would you say, have you really checked? I mean, before you throw it in the recycle bin, would you give it to me? Just check one more time. How many of you, if your kids were going to end up in slavery and it was up to you to obey the word of the Lord, how many of you would go full on to find as many jars as you could? Let me see your hands. Come on now. Your, your kids are watching. If you didn't put your hands up, they're watching. How many of you would do everything you could within your power to gather up as many jars as you could? Put your hands up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you again, what's your family worth? How many jars would you gather? You see, I started this message by talking about the whale's vomit and I asked you a hypothetical question at the end of my little exegesis on ambergris. And everybody put their hand up and said, or a lot of people put their hand up and said, yeah, for $10,000 a month, I'd consider changing jobs. And when I upped the ante to $20,000, I think just about everybody put their hand up. We would do it. Whales vomit or... Stuff that came out of his poo hole. We would do it. And if we were in the shoes of this widowed woman, we would go to great lengths. It didn't matter who we annoyed. We're putting the value of our family on the collection of these jars. We would do it. So I have another question. Jesus talked about ten virgins. And they all had a lamp and they all had oil in the lamp. But only five had extra oil. And when the cry went out at midnight that the bridegroom was just around the corner, the ones who didn't bother to get the extra oil wanted to presume oil of those who were wise to gather oil. And because they were wise, they said, no, I can't give you what I have lest I run out. Go to the merchants and see if you can purchase oil. Now, Jesus, remember who we're talking about. This is God. God likes to give us clues. And every parable is a parallel of a truth, a reality in heaven that is going to affect earth. I said it last week, parables aren't fairy tales. They're not just little stories. They are parallels of something that is absolutely true. And it's going to happen. In fact, when Jesus started this parable, he said, let me tell you, the kingdom of God is like this story. There are ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom to come. But in their waiting, they got sleepy. They got tired. They didn't keep themselves on their toes. Some were prudent, and they gathered as many jars as they could. And some 
didn't bother getting any extra oil. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Because there will be a cry going out at midnight that the bridegroom's around the corner. And then people are going to look down and see whether or not they have enough oil to take them through. Here. Look at it this way with me. Everyone, look at me for a second. When Jesus walked across the terrain of Galilee, walked through Jerusalem, up and down Israel, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, preaching the truth, 12 disciples in tow. And as I study the Gospels, I see that Jesus often went off to be alone and the 12 weren't with him. And he went to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit and he gathered up more oil. He allowed himself to soak up the presence of God. He got alone because he understood the value of having the Holy Spirit in his life. This is God in the flesh. We would be <laughs> excused if we thought for a moment, but he's God, he didn't need to do that. And yet he came as a human being to be a model for us of what the last Adam looks like is what we are born again into and what we're meant to look like. And we find that Jesus was constantly going away to the top of a mountain or a quiet place, setting time aside very purposefully to be alone with God and with the Holy Spirit. And he'd come back with the power and the energy to take him through another day. You see, 24 hours before his crucifixion, it's the only time that we see that he actually allowed his disciples to come with him to his place of prayer or one of his places of prayer. And they kept falling asleep. Interesting, isn't it? Parable of the ten virgins. They were falling asleep. But five had made time to be full to overflowing in the Holy Ghost. So I know what you would do for Wells vomit. And I know what you would do if creditors were coming after your two daughters. Would you bust your butt and hustle to get every jar and every vat you could so that your two girls wouldn't have to work menial jobs and be in servitude for the rest of their life? In fact, I bet that between you and Omar, you work your butts off so that they can have a college career, a college education. And here in America, that's what most of us do. We want to give our kids a good life, a great life. We want to give them the shot at having the best, better than what we had. But we always think of that in terms of natural things and monetary things. And we don't think of that in terms of spiritual things. 
often enough. And so I'm going to ask you, what's your family worth? You see, Lydia, you had me. <laughs> you didn't have me at hello. You had me at, I'm going to talk about my mom again. And how you're, you told the story of that little Hungarian lady who stitched diamonds in the hem of her daughter's dress. And you aligned that with your mom and how she imparted to you the things of God. And I look at us as Christians here in America, and we think because we're Christians and we're Americans, that's it. We got it. No. Being an American really isn't going to help you that much. And just being a follow-along Christian might not always take you through the darkest times. But being full of relationship with God and full of relationship with the Holy Spirit and full of relationship with the Word will. And so as you were sharing your story, <laughs> I started to think about my mom who only less than 12 months ago went to be with the Lord. And I started to think about my dad and how we grew up in church even before they were pastors, before mom and dad went to Australia as missionaries and left their family, we grew up in church. Friday nights, yeah, everyone parties on Friday nights. That's when we have people over the house. That's when we go out and watch movies and it's the end of a work week. You know how I grew up? Friday nights were prayer meetings in a little old Italian church and I grew up watching my mom and dad at the altar because the oil of the Holy Spirit was more precious to them and it would take them and they knew it would take their kids further than a college education. And I thank God. Yeah, give, give the Lord a clap. I thank God for a mom and a dad who doused us in the oil of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for parents who were wise enough to not give us a secular education, but to give us an education of running after God and proving to us that it is worth throwing yourself into the kingdom of God. Everything else will pass away, but the things of God will last forever. I thank God for parents that were wise virgins and that they constantly had their kids uh, hearing the Word of God and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I thank God I grew up in church and I'm a preacher's kid. I thank God that as a baby, symbolically, as they washed me down with oil, they were anointing me in the Holy Ghost. So I appreciated what you were saying. You were preaching to me. And you were helping to add to this sermon. And church, we're so concerned about our kids being in the school's athletic program. Pastor Carlos, would you put that image up on the screen for me? There's a 
0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There's a 100% chance that your child will stand before Jesus. Get them to church. Don't send them to church. Take them to church. We want to debate whether church should be an hour or it should be two hours. Isn't it interesting? In God's mentality, he said, you want the Holy Spirit? I'm not telling you when he's going to come. I'm just telling you, stay there till he comes. Isn't it amazing that God won't argue with our carnality? He says, this is how it is. Now you go think about it and you make the decision. I thank God that a lot of disciples made the decision they were staying till they got the Holy Spirit. What am I talking about? What I'm talking about is living lives that will give our kids the optimum effect of being bathed in the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about putting the kingdom of God first because everything else will not last. I'm talking about something that's more valuable than whale's vomit, and I'm talking about something that's more important than just keeping your kids out of debt or giving your kids a college education. I'm talking about something that will give them eternal life, but more than that, it will put inside of them degrees of integrity, degrees of Holy Spirit wisdom, degrees of power that comes supernaturally through the very Spirit of God. Church, it's not enough to go to church. We've got to wake up. We've got to shake up. And we've got to recognize that we are the church of Jesus Christ. And if we go like he says to go, and if we do like he says to do, and if we throw ourselves into the wind of his Holy Spirit with total abandonment, we'll find that we are singing, I can fly with eagles, hallelujah. Amen. So clearly, six weeks ago, the Holy Spirit told me, tell the virgins, it's time to gather extra oil. Last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, that morning, in the wee hours, President Putin escalated the nuclear status in his nation. Four days later, they started to attack in order to take hold of the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. It caught fire. Not even four days since I preached on Sunday. It caught fire. I'm not here to get political or to lay blame on this side or that side. I'm not going to step into the carnality of all of that. I want to step into the spirituality of all of that and say, church, Jesus said, when you see these things happening, look up. Your redemption draws near. Amen. And God has put it on my church, uh, on my heart, to talk to the church about getting ready. 
It's not time to run and hide. It's not time to get full of the world. It's time to get full of the word of God and start committing ourselves to the things that are eternal. Jesus said, this is how the kingdom of God is. When the bridegroom comes, the five wise virgins went into the banquet hall and the doors were closed. And then others came pounding on the door, but the door never opened again. I said last week that I find an amazing similarity between the story of Noah and the story of the ten virgins. And Jesus says, as it was in the day of Noah's, so shall it be in the day that the Son of Man returns. And people are eating and drinking and partying, and they thought Noah was nuts. You've chosen a lifestyle that's crazy, dude. Rain, water from heaven, the ground is nurtured by the mist and by springs that come up from the ground. They had never seen water. Noah was talking a completely different language. In fact, Noah was pointing to a world that as far as they were concerned, it didn't exist. Water from heaven? Dude! What plants have you been chewing on? <laughs> Noah preached, and no one listened. And the Bible says that when Noah was told to go into the ark, God closed the doors of the ark. And then a supernatural phenomenon that we take for granted, water started to fall from the heavens. And everyone started to panic. They never saw this. They never thought this would happen. And they start knocking and pounding and wailing and screaming on those doors. But when the time is past, the time is past. Have you ever noticed on your watch, on your clock, when the second goes, it's gone. And there's nothing you can do to bring that second back again. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And I want Jesus to come back and find this guy full of the Holy Ghost. I want Jesus to come back and find this guy busy about the things that have eternal value. And I want Jesus to come back and find the church that this guy was called to pastor and find the people full of the Holy Ghost and busy about their father's business. Can I get an amen? amen. Stand with me. So we all know in the exercise of our imagination this morning, we all know what we would do for the opportunity to collect a pound or two pounds of whale's vomit. And we all know how we would exercise ourselves with great energy to stop our sons and our daughters from being taken by creditors and having to live a life of slavery. Now the final question that again only you can answer is, what will you do?
to gather up the extra oil of the Holy Spirit. If it took one hour a day of reading the Word or praying or being in intimate worship to get you through that day, how many days of the week would you have enough resources to get through? Church, I... I I'm not trying to scare anyone because fear as a motivation really doesn't last. But I want to talk to your, your spirit. I want to talk to your spiritual sensibilities. Everything that the Bible has prophesied is going to come to pass. And we're living in the last days. In fact, it's 18 months now God's been putting on my heart to put a series together with video footage and banners and slides about the prophetic accuracy of whom the world calls a great seer, Nostradamus, and the prophetic accuracy of the prophets of old who wrote the Word of God. No comparison. It's hilarious when you compare the two. And then draw the fine line of what the Bible says will happen in the last days and what we know scientifically is more than a possibility. It's a very real probability. And all these things were prophesied 2,000 years ago some 3,000 years ago. The Bible talks about how this world will end up, and I want to tell you, today's news is fitting very much into that image that the Bible forecasts. I want you to be wise. You see, we could do this to get ready, or we could do this as a lifestyle of how we live. And I think the wisest person will do this as a lifestyle of how we live. Not even about getting ready. I don't want to have to get ready because, oops, he's coming soon. I want to be the bride that's just waiting and hanging on every second for the bridegroom. Amen. Can I tell you something? I have a daughter that's not married yet. I have a son that's not married yet. And if they were dating and someone claimed to be serious about them, and the guy would sometimes show up for the date and sometimes not show up, or the guy would show up and he's not really dressed up or washed up, and he's just, oh, nearly forgot, but I'm here. I'm going to tell you right now. I'd probably kick that guy in the butt and tell him, don't you ever come around my daughter again because she deserves something better than that. How many of you are in agreement? Absolutely. And if my son were to start dating a young lady and, you know, she was always more excited about being with her girlfriends and, you know, 
was never excited about him showing up. I'd sit him down and say, son, you need to find, number one, you need to have a better opinion of yourself and you need to have, find somebody who has an equal opinion of yourself. How many of you all agree? Come on, how many of you all agree? So let me ask you this question. How are we courting Jesus? The bridegroom's coming back. What does this bride look like? I want to be on the tips of my toes, excited. I can't wait till he comes. I can't wait till he comes. I can't wait till he comes. In the waiting for his return, I want to be found busy telling as many people as I can about Jesus. Come with me. You got to find Jesus. Come, 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 come with me. I want you to find Jesus. You too. Come on. Listen, Jesus loves you. Let me take a guy this time. She already found Jesus. Let me catch as many people as I can. Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> say, say, I want to be found busy doing the things that pertain to my father's business. I don't want to be found just going to church. I want to be found being the church of Jesus Christ. I want to be found pulling down strongholds and building people's lives back together again. So I ask you, I've asked you what Wells vomit is worth. I've asked you what your kids are worth. Now I'm asking you, what's Jesus worth? What's God worth? Thank you, guys. Thank you, Bill. You okay? Make sure you step, give him a wide berth. But you see, he was so excited, he was being called. Yeah. I'm not trying to fear monger you into a corner. I want to speak the wisdom of God and speak truth to you. Because the best thing in my life is that my parents raised me up in God's house. They taught me the stories. They taught me the word. They passed on a heritage until finally in my own heart, I was so in love with this Jesus that I gave my life to him. And now that I've given my life to him and 63 years on, I want to tell you, it is the best thing I have ever done. And my greatest hope is that my kids will continue in the same path. And I'd take every opportunity I can. We've raised them up in God's house. We've poured the word of God in them. And they don't know how many hours behind the scenes we've wept over each and every one of them. Church, let's be the five wise virgins. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Father, I pray for all of us that in these days we will be wise. In fact, I pray, Holy Spirit, James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give freely. 
I pray that the wisdom of the five wise virgins will be upon this church. Every man, every woman, that we will get a revelation. Our eyes will be opened. Our soul and our spirit will be in agreement with the Holy One of Heaven. I pray, Father, that the wisdom of the five wise virgins will be in us and that we will be about our Father's business. When Jesus returns, yes, He will find faith. In the church, yes, he will find us about our Father's business. Yes, he will find us awake and not asleep. Yes, he will find us doing the things he's told us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Now, as I close, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, coming to a church doesn't get you into the party. Being baptized as a baby something your parents did for you isn't your personal decision I'm not here to push religion I am here to open the gates of the kingdom of God so that you can have relationship with Jesus Christ if something's stirring in your heart right now and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior as simple as lift your hand I want you to lift your hand right now and say that's me thank you sir who else who else? Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down now. I'm proud of you. Who else right now wants to say yes to Jesus Christ? You want to be a follower of him. Not a, a flash, not a dash in the pan. You want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you, Jesus has been following you all your life, giving you opportunity after opportunity to say yes to him. And when we say yes, Jesus opens the gates of heaven, comes into our lives, and everything starts to find its place and its purpose. On live stream right now, if that's you, say yes. I'm going to talk to you in the live stream in just a moment as we close here. Is there anyone else, others, that want to raise their hands also? All right. Church, I want you to pray with me right now. Sir, you raise your hand. I want you to pray this especially, but everyone's going to pray it. And I'm going to ask you if after the service, come see me for a second, all right? I want to shake your hand. I'm proud of you right now. Church, are you proud of this man? Amen. Awesome. God bless you. Good stuff. Everyone, repeat after me, sir. Repeat after me. God, I thank you for loving me. Jesus Christ. You died on that cross for me. And I accept you today. Forgive me of all my mistakes, all of my sins, and allow the blood you shed on the cross to wash away my sin. Jesus Christ, I acknowledge you today before heaven and earth. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Live in me and lead me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Church, I want to thank you for letting me be me. And not putting me under the pressure of trying to fit in with 60 minutes God's doing something in this house 
And we want God to do something even more. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Give half a dozen people a hug. Wish them well. Bless them in Jesus' name. And come on back and bring some friends next Sunday. Let's get this place hopping and popping. Let's get it to a point where we got to knock the walls down because we are invading the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of God. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Amen.